right. Thank you, Kelly and Heather. Uh, just want to, isn't this great? Like, I don't know if you. So these two uh, don't get paid. Heather is a, a full, t- works full time and is a student full time and still gets here early, practices songs. And, uh, and plays for y'all. And, and Kelly, uh, I don't know if you've ever like watched kids before, but like one is a bit for me. Uh, and, and she watches four, with Lonnie's help, of course, wherever there's a light, I can't really see Lonnie. Um, but uh, yeah, so just appreciate both of you. Thank you for taking the time to serve us in that capacity. Uh, so if you ever get a chance to, if you see them out here afterward when we're all hanging out, feel free to say thank you for your service because uh, it's a very vital and life-giving part of uh, what we do. So uh, my name is Mike Gary. I'm the pastor here at Communitas Church. And Communitas is a church that exists to love God, to love people, and b- build disciples here in the Brainerd Lakes area and around the world. And so uh, part of how we do that is on Sundays we gather together and just the very practice of our gathering with one another, submitting ourselves to uh, to correction from, from the other, kind of opening up who we are and kind of what we've, what we've been about, what we're doing to one another. We, t- we take part in that discipling uh, our community through that through just that disposition. And so it's really vital that we do this. We come together and, and we're with one another. We've been created uh, for that, to be in relationship. We also worship through singing, as, as Heather and, and Kelly just led us. You know, just the, the proclamation, our, our vocalizing of, of things that we believe about God and about ourselves as a result of that. We're going to worship through listening to the, the reading of God's word and the proclamation of a, of a message. And then also we worship through communion. And that's the part of the service that we're about to enter into here. And, and what communion is, is it's, it's this participation in a sacred meal. And you think you might, you might look up here to the, to the left and to your right, and you'll see there's these little things of, of, uh, of crackers and, and juice. And you go, that's not a very filling meal. Well, it isn't filling in the physical sense, but rather it hearkens us and kind of wakes us up to something that is filling in the sense of our soul, something in which we can take part of. We'll get to this more later, but, but the Israelites had this, this notion of, of a history that moved in a direction. And when Jesus and his disciples gathered together to celebrate what has been called the Last Supper, what we're about to celebrate in here in communion, it was a proclamation that that point was now, that the kingdom had come, and were to participate in that kingdom. And so by sharing in this meal, what we do together when we do this is we come together and we say, I'm with you. I'm with you, Lord, and I'm with you, my brothers and sisters, in this journey toward building disciples, toward holiness, toward bringing God's kingdom to fruition here. And so some of us are, we're on a, a myriad, we're on a wide spectrum of where we're at uh, as far as our, our relationship to Jesus. And so I know that some folks, man, you, you're coming in here and it was everything that you could do to like get yourself together to make it here. And so just take a deep breath and just let it, like, we just want you to know that we're glad that you're here. And some of us, you've been walking this road for a while and it is an utter delight to gather together and to be able to be a part 
of the Christian life. So wherever you're at on that spectrum, we're going to take a few moments to just reflect on who Jesus is, reflect on our lives and, and how we live in relation to how we've been created and who we've been called to be. So I want to just take some time and we're just going to think about, you know, reflect on your, on your last week, your last couple days, maybe your last couple hours. What's going on in your life? What's, what's, what's kind of the state of your soul? What's bothering you? And how should we operate in light of who Jesus is? How God has created us? The manner in which the Holy Spirit works through us? And so we're going to take a moment to just ponder that. Reflect that. Open ourselves up to what the Holy Spirit may be teaching us in this time. And it's going to be a time of silence and we have little kids in here and they're going to wiggle and they're going to make noise and that's okay. Little kids wiggle and make noise. That's part of being little. But we're going to take that time and we're just going to reflect. And we're going to have the space to do that. And when you're ready, no hurry, come on up. We've got the elements, as I said earlier, set out to your left and to your right. And just grab the crackers and the juice and bring them back to your seat and I'll read from from Scripture, and we'll all partake of the meal together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the meal that Jesus shared with his disciples, and that by your Holy Spirit, we are able to share with you as your disciples. Lord, we come in here in, in any number of different uh, conditions. And Lord, wherever we're at, I pray that you would Speak to us, Lord, and give us hearts that are humble and able to hear you, and hands that are willing to serve you, and feet that are willing to take us to where you've called us to go. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would guide this time of reflection, and that we would hear you. Similar to many of the cookouts you've maybe already had, this year and, and we'll have throughout the rest of the summer or any kind of large family gathering you've ever been a part of. There's kind of a, you know, like the really good ones, there's this kind of sacredness that walks over it. Isn't there just like this, this moment where like, gosh, this is, this is great. And so Jesus and his disciples are eating a meal. That's, it's like that. It's just, you know, there was a, there was a sacredness to it and that it was ritualistic and something that they've been practicing for thousands of years. But then there's also this piece where I mean, they're just hanging together in this rented room, and they're eating this meal, and Jesus totally flips the script. There was an order of how it was supposed to go, and then he just totally changes it up, and he takes the bread, and he breaks it, and he blesses it, and he gives it to him, and he says, take and eat. This is my body. And you kind of envision what it looks like when those meals and those times together carry on. And at that moment, he took the, the cup and he said, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we, we have sinned. We will sin again. And we are sinners, but we know that by your grace... We have been saved through your death and through your resurrection. 
by the breaking of your body and the shedding of your blood and your rising again that we've been saved and we've been offered life. And so we thank you, Lord, that in this meal, you invite us not only to the table, not only to a time of nourishment, but you invite us into life. A life to the full, a life abundant, a life eternal. Amen. Okay, so we're going through the book of Matthew, and I'll dismiss kids here. You're going to hang in here for just a second. Y'all are doing really good. But before you take off, I know you're excited, right? I mean, it's, it's going to be good back there, isn't it? Do you have fun back there? Yeah, and you've got your coloring, but you're set. You came prepared. I don't, I don't even know that I have a coloring book like that. That's pretty rad. I'm going to have my friend Matt come up here. Our brother Matt Postier, he's going to read to us. If you have a Bible, feel free to pull that out. We're going to be in the book of Matthew for the next couple months. And uh, so if you do not have a Bible and want to pull out a mobile device, feel free to do that. At this time, we'll be in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. If you do not have a mobile device or a Bible with you, the words will be projected onto the screen behind us. And... Uh, so, Matt, you've, you've been here for a little bit from Rochester area originally. Yep. Hanging out here with your wife is? That's Kristen, and that's Lars. Yeah, and uh, I know Matt and I first uh, got to know one another through working at Easy Riders Bike Shop together, and, uh, and then he does all kinds of really creative things. If you're ever wondering what you should do to make old metal things look cool, Matt's got a ton of ideas, and uh, I don't know if you saw any of the cards that we opened up, but Kristen made one that was like an elephant that unfolded into a smaller elephant. It was crazy. These are really cool people to get to know. So if you get a chance, Matt and Kristen Possier, Matt, I'll turn it over to you. Okay, so if you read ahead, you'll know, but bear with me on this. It is a list of names. So Matthew 1, 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Solomon, and Solomon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon, by the wife Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shalatish, of S, and S, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiad, 
and Abiad, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliad, and Eliad, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, to whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So the generations from Abraham to David were fourteen generations, and from David to the deportation of, to Babylon, fourteen generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, fourteen generations. Yeah, Matt was Matt was super pumped, and I was like, "Hey, can you read?" Yeah, sure. What do you want me to read? Matthew one through seventeen. Get a reply later. Oh, it's a list of names. Thanks, bud. Yeah. <laughs> So they, they get easier from out there. Matt, thanks for, for reading that. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. And as we get ready to dismiss these kids and, and listen to a message, uh, we pray for these kids and for those who are going to disciple them. And we pray for us as a church that we would be your children and that we would be your disciples and that in turn we would disciple these young people to grow into mature believers. And so we thank you for the folks that are taking the time to teach them. We know that it is not a second class uh, uh, occupation or or um, activity. And so we thank you for them and their service. Amen. All right, kids, if you... Yeah, sing it, Lars. Uh, feel free to head out this direction over by the door here. We've got a great lesson planned for you over there. Henry's all ready to go. Feel free, man. All right. So yeah, a list of names. That's fun. Imagine having some of those names in your in your family tree. Families are kind of weird, aren't they? Like some of them are really good. Some of them are just really bad. Some of them are kind of a combination of the of the three. Right? We've got some yeah, some people in the back identifying with that. That's good. I like to connect with an audience in a message. Um, you know, and, and I think if we're lucky, you know, it, it'll, uh, like, it should be both. Like, there should be parts of our, our family history that kind of, you know, kind of inspire us to do, to do great things and also to kind of warn us and kind of keep us girded in, you know, like, but yeah, so just, but, uh, so for some of us, you know, family is a good thing. Some of us, family is a not as awesome thing. And some of us have kind of the, the family that we choose. Uh, we've got really great friends. That, that gird us in and, and help us there. A friend of mine, I've got, I've got two friends, one who, that, that pastor in more impoverished areas, one of whom is in a more rural setting, one is who, in who is in a more urban setting. And we were talking about poverty one time and how for my friend that's in a more rural setting that it looks differently because of the family structure. And in his area, there's a lot of families that they just kind of stay in the same spot. So they've been on the same plot of land for like, you know, six generations or something like that, like longer than my family's even been in America. And, uh, and so it just kind of looks different because they'll, they'll say, yeah, when you see the guy who's, who's homeless, like he might not have a home, but if it's out and it's cold out and you know, he's getting snowed on, you can pick him up and you're like, Oh, you're so-and-so's uncle or nephew or whatever. And you can kind of bring him up over to that place. And it, and it all works out. So family kind of weird, kind of cool. Um, yeah. So Matthew, genealogy, chapter 1, bunch of names. 
kind of interesting, isn't it? So I, I want you to take a moment and imagine that you're, a, you're, you're living in the first century. You're an Israelite. And, and you've, heard some, you've heard some stories about this, this Jesus character, this Messiah. And you've heard of other people that are that have made some of the claims that he's made to you know to, to be the Messiah, to be the this this long awaited for hope. But they've come and gone pretty quickly. But there's something really unique about this Jesus character that you've been hearing about. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. He's raising people from the dead. And, and, you've, and you've got, you're starting to wonder, you know, the Pax Romana, this piece of Rome that, that you're living in, doesn't always seem so peaceful. We talked a few weeks ago about this, this expectation that a lot of the Israelites around Jesus' time were living in, waiting for the Messiah to come, waiting to fulfill the promises that God gave to a man named Abraham to have descendants that would outnumber the stars, property and progeny and, and you know, the gathering all the nations. And you're waiting and you've got this, this burning in your soul for this everlasting kingdom to be set up that, that God promised to David. And you're looking at Rome and you're going, well, I mean, eventually it's going to fall, right? Like this certainly can't last forever. And you heard about this, this guy, this letter that there have been letters that have been read in, in synagogues around, around Jerusalem, around Judea, and kind of in, uh, starting to grow around greater Mesopotamia. And you're, you heard about this guy named Matthew that, that wrote this letter and didn't sign his name to it, which you think, well, that's probably a good idea because he used to be a tax collector. Uh, you know, his job was to kind of betray his countrymen and sell them out to Rome and, you know, he lived by just charging overinflated prices on things. Kind of a disgrace. But, man, there seems to be something different about this in this letter. This Matthew's story. It's intriguing. And you think, well, if it's true, then that really, that's a game changer for me, isn't it? I mean, if it's false, I can just go on just doing whatever whatever I want and just kind of living in, in wateful, anxious hope. But if it's true, well, this changes everything. Maybe it's worth a listen. And so if you're, a, if you're an Israelite and you hear Matthew's message, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, that is going to be a proclamation. That is going to get you excited. Genesis, the beginning. Genealogy, the beginning. So it's, they, they kind of work together. And it, if, if you hadn't, you know, if you'd read this, it would start to, the synapses in your mind would start to, to fire together. Your heart would begin to quicken. These, this long-awaited return of the Messiah, this Savior who is to come to save the people. You're going, hey, wait, these words haven't been used in quite some time. These descriptions have not been happening for quite some time. Could it be that what was prophesied to come is actually here? 
you think, David, Abraham, man, maybe finally this 400 years that we've been, we've been waiting in after the rebuilding of the temple, maybe God is in his presence is finally going to return. Now, if you're the skeptic, you look at this and you go, David, the son of Abraham, you go, wait a minute, didn't David come after Abraham? I'm pretty sure that, you know, David happens somewhere in the, like the Chronicles and the Samuel books and something like that, kind of more in the middle of the Old Testament. Thought Abraham, he was over in Genesis. Did Matthew get his, his story straight? And then you look at the list and you go, 14 generations. No, he, like, he skipped a couple kings in there. There's some people that he left out. Like, did, can Matthew not read really well? Like, does he not keep books? Have you ever met an accountant that didn't keep really sharp books? Like, accountant's pretty, like, no, he's on it. Matthew is, is trying to awaken something in us and trying to communicate something in a different way. Like, if you look at it and it doesn't match up, it could be that they made a mistake or it could be that we're not reading it correctly. You see, Matthew lived in a time and, and comes from a culture that speaks a little bit more symbolically. They used poetic license a little bit more liberally. They were able to, to, to foster ideas in a way that are really highly concrete, logical, rational way of thinking often misses. And so what he's saying is he's saying, hey, remember David? He was going to set up this, he, he's a symbol of this Messiah who was going to rule an everlasting kingdom. Abraham was, was going to have descendants that outnumber the stars and they were to follow in that never-ending kingdom we've been invited into that call and he's saying hey remember these these notions so in in history we all have different ways of looking at history jewish thinking history moves in a direction not just moving in in an aimless direction of oh this will you know a will follow b will follow c and and on and on will go but rather we're moving towards something we talked about this in in revelation a few weeks back we did that mach 10 flyby through the book of revelation about this thing that is, that is here and yet to come and this reality that we're moving toward called the kingdom of God. And so Matthew's view of history was shaped by this notion that we're moving in a specific direction, toward a specific place, toward transformation, towards redemption, toward Jesus making all things new. And so his gospel, using this genealogy, he points this out and he says, hey, look, we've been looking. So 14 generations, he's saying hey, there's a completeness here. He says from Abraham to David, these are high points in Israel's history, much like we have certain points in our history personally and communally that have kind of marked us and shaped us both for the better and for the worse. He's hitting the, the, major, the major points in, Isra- in Israel's collective history. And he's saying, hey, remember Abraham? That was pretty cool, right? That was a good time. That's what we look toward. That was a good covenant that God made with us. And then he says, hey, and... Abraham to David, David, everlasting kingdom. That would that'd be a good thing. That was great. To David to the exile. Okay, exile. Yeah, that was horrible. We didn't like that at all. That was horrible. And then exile to Jesus. And now we look back and we see that, you know, we've got all like eight because of our calendar system and all sorts of things, we see that Jesus' coming was an event, a historical event of cosmic proportions. But there they didn't, they didn't see it yet. And so Matthew's saying, hey, look, Abraham, David, exile, big events, Jesus, this is the moment that you've all been waiting for. This is the moment that we've been looking to arrive. The kingdom is here. But how? I mean, look at this list. It's full of liars and cheats and murderers and temple profaners and Sabbath breakers and like 
victims of all sorts of atrocities and perpetuators of all sorts of cruel injustices. And yet it's through these sorts of people and to these sorts of people that God brings redemption. And if we learn one thing from Matthew today, let it be this, that God will use whatever circumstances or persons necessary according to his character to show his glory, capture the hearts of his people, and bring his kingdom to fruition. God will use whatever circumstances or persons necessary according to his character to show his glory, capture the hearts of his people, and bring his kingdom to fruition. And we see this through who he picks on the list, right? There's, pe- there's this irreligious people that shouldn't have known, but they see it better than, than the religious to whom it had been revealed. And so, for whom is this good news? Matthew used this title, you know, this Gospel of Matthew. Well, Gospel means good news. So what, who's... Who's this good news to? There's a list of names. It's good news for those who find themselves on that list. If you're able to accept the fact that you're a Sabbath breaker, temple profaner, liar, cheat, murderer, adulterer, victim, perpetuator, if you've taken breath, you will find your name on that list. I think Matthew would have known this really well. So his his job was he was what's called a publican. And if you've ever seen those, if you've ever gotten a bill where you know it said, "Oh, this is how much this is going to cost." This was the service that you needed to have done, and uh, and it cost X dollars, but Y amount, the total, was far greater than X amount because there was you know like a recycling fee, uh, like an online transaction fee, a uh, paper fee, uh, this fee, uh, that fee, uh, coffee break fee, you know, and just all these things where your total was like twice as much as, you go, what? I don't get that. That doesn't make any sense. That's what math, just like that makes your blood boil a little bit. Like, you know, like that, and you have no one to whom you can appeal. You just have to fork over the cash. Like, I, I guess I need whatever you have. That's how Matthew made his money in that gray, sketchy area. So Matthew grew. So imagine your your hero and your enemy, whatever it is, or, or just you know certain things you like and certain things you dislike. Imagine if the things that you liked, the hero that you had, the you know whatever it is, whether it's a political system, you know philosophy, sports team, whatever. Imagine that your favorite in any one of those categories joined your worst enemy in the other category. That's what Matthew did. As an Israelite, he's like, you know what? I'm going to go get a job with Rome, the oppressive world superpower that has been squashing these people for the last couple hundred years. And I'm going to, and Rome says, hey, look, Matthew, you need to get X amount of dollars from the people every month. And whatever you make over the top of that, it's all gravy, baby. Like any one of us left to our own devices, what are you going to do? You're going to jack up the prices a little bit because you're like, well, I could wait for the cool new thing or I could have it now. So wheel tax, wheel tax. Yep, you got wheels on your cart. All carts have wheels. Yep, congratulations. So does yours. That's an extra couple denarii. 
fork it over. And yet to this guy who has everything, that is, you know, who's able to just play the system, nice clothes, whatever else, it's just smooth. Jesus, this carpenter and a bunch of dock hands, come and meet him and he has this profound moment of transformation. And Jesus says, hey man, this life isn't working for you. Follow me. And so whether you've got your ducks in a row or your life is is a total dumpster fire, Jesus is your Messiah. The same promise that's true about David and about Abraham is being fulfilled by the same God in Jesus. He's saying, hey, look, I'm, I'm opening up the doors to an everlasting kingdom. I'm calling you to be a part of my descendants that outnumber the stars. And I'm doing that through Jesus, and I'm calling you to follow me, to be one of my disciples. Repent. Walk with me. And it's kind of a, an interesting thing with history, isn't it? Like some of us, we get stuck in, in history past. You go, gosh, I just, I just wish that we could get back to this, this certain thing. I've got a friend of mine who's a, he pastors a church that's starting to dwindle, and his people are like, yeah, what we'd really like to do is we want to do you know, these sorts of things. And they want to resurrect these various systems as opposed to living out of the resurrecting power of Jesus. They want to get back to a moment that has passed as opposed to moving toward the kingdom that God is building. And some of us get, get sidetracked and we look for history future. We start thinking, oh yeah, we want to, like this is what we want to go. This is the, you know, we want to, once we get, you know, the house or the job or the relationship or, you know, whatever it is, and we're searching for this kind of vague thing out there and we're just waiting for that to come. And to that, Jesus is saying, hey, no, 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 the kingdom is here. Now, join me. Be here. I am making all things new. History is moving toward a point, and that point is Jesus. And he's offering us that life everlasting, offering us to be a part of his great discipleship and a part of that plan to build the kingdom by making disciples here and around the world. And so what is that restoration going to look like for you? Are you Matthew? Do you kind of have things pretty well sorted out? And are you willing to follow this carpenter that walks up and says, come along? And what does healing and restoration look like in your life and the life of those around you? Sometimes we, 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 we uphold kind of redemption of community over redemption of self, or we look at redemption of self before we looked at redemption of community, and we pit them together in kind of this false dichotomy. It's a both and. And if you look at the name that, that Matthew chooses to use, he says Abraham. Not his birth name. He was born Abram. And then what happens? God heals him. And so Matthew is saying, hey, the point isn't like we know that you've been created for good. We know that you've been created in the image of God and something has gone horribly awry 
and life has come undone. But the point isn't that life has come undone, but rather that life can be redeemed. Life can be whole. Life will be made whole through Jesus and has been for people like Abraham, like David, like the descendants. And so he says, I'm not trying to move people to when it was broke, or I'm not trying to move people to when it was pretty good. I'm trying to move people in the direction where I'm making all things new. And so for us, it means going into our hearts. I can get up here and I can preach and I can present this and we can read Scripture and we can pray, but at the end of the day, we need to do that hard work of going into our soul and seeking out where we need to change, where healing is supposed to come to broken places. To think about where are we seeking to destroy what God has intended to be good. Some of us may have habits that we've started that we need to stop. Some of us have stopped doing things that we need to do again. What's it going to take to get us there? Who needs to be with you on that journey? Because we have a call and an opportunity here as people to, to grow and to flourish. My healing may be a part of your healing. Your healing may be a part of of my healing. That's kind of why we, why we do this thing together. Why we gather every week to meet with one another. Not just so that we can have a good experience and, and hear some teaching that's hopefully good, but so we can become united. We can join with this thing that is happening the world over. All over the globe, there are people gathering right now in various churches, worshiping in a bunch of different languages, all worshiping the same God. It is a uniting force to be a part of. And Jesus says, will you join me? Will you find your name in the genealogy? Will you come along? Will you be a part of the everlasting kingdom, the descendants that outnumber the stars as I make all things Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be called to your table, to be called your children, to be a part of what you are doing, who you're making us, and the kingdom that you're building. Lord, forgive us of the ways that we have worked against that. Show us how we can become a greater part of what you are doing. Amen. Thanks for coming today. Thanks for being with us together, all of us. May you this week go out as recipients of grace, carriers of God's mercy, making it impossible for the world around us to live in and go to hell. May you spread the good news that Jesus is the point of history and is making all things new. Join us for some coffee and sweet treats in the back. Mingle about, uh, get to know one another, and uh, have a great week. Remember the kids meeting on Thursday, game night in two Thursdays, and we'll see you all next week.